For those of you uh, who don't already know, my name is Tim. Uh, I'm the pastor here, uh, one of the pastors here at SMAC. And I'm really honored to be sharing God's word with you. Uh, continuing our series in Matthew, in particular as we've just read in chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that we may follow him. We pray and ask, O Lord, that we may receive your word humbly, and that you may focus our attention to where your word is needed in our own lives, and that your spirit may so move in our hearts to obey you more and more, that in following Christ we may truly find life eternal. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage this week consists of six verses, and I broke it down into four sections, if you follow on the outline that was provided. Um, the first section is in, it's just verse 18, covering verse 18, that make, Jesus makes a move. And then the next three sections are about following Jesus. Uh, section 2, following Jesus primarily, verses 19 to 20, following Jesus as priority, uh, verses 21 to 22. And last but not least, following Jesus because he is worthy and worth it, uh, based on verse 23. And the takeaway point for us today is that we follow Jesus primarily and as priority because he's both worthy and worth it. So by way of interaction, I'd like us to think about the big choices that we make in life, the big choices that we're forced to make. And invariably, big choices will always cost something, right? It's a general principle that the bigger the choice, the bigger the cost. For example, making smart financial decisions like saving up for a rainy day or making smart uh, investment choices with your money means denying the temptation to buy something that would just last for today. Or deny or buy something that you may not need right now, but will depreciate in value, like a new gadget or a new car, right? Uh, phones and cars are not investments because they decrease in value, right? Uh, or it could be studying hard at a career or working hard and diligently to advance your career. And that will cost sometimes pursuits of things of leisure that get in the way of in that endeavor, right? Or more personally, the building of relationships, to build and maintain friendships, ones that truly matter, the ones that, you know, we, we, we really long for in life, really cost. We not just uh, cost time and energy and effort to stay connected, especially in this day and age, but we're also risking our own selves, uh, being vulnerable, allowing the other person into our lives, isn't it? And all those things are costs. For us, shortly after my wife and I were married, uh, we made a big decision to uproot ourselves from KL and go to a small town in Pahang called Mentaka. Uh, this, what co this cost us was an opportunity to go to Singapore to migrate there and all the opportunities that Singapore can offer. Uh, it, for me, it involved quitting my secular job, which by that, at that point of time was six years in the pharmaceutical industry, and for us, not knowing what lay ahead in Pahang. Uh, but more on how that played out later, right? And we, for today's passage, uh, we, as mentioned earlier, we looked at Jesus healing the leper. We looked at Jesus healing the centurion's servant. And last week, we saw Jesus healing not just Peter's mother-in-law, but a whole host of sick people and demon-possessed people. And so, naturally, on the tail end of these three instances of Jesus' healing, we see sensation. the sensation that those healings cause leads us to our first section in verse 18. We see here, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So we see two things here. Number one was that a crowd began to gather around Jesus, that he was becoming so popular, wherever he showed up, a mob would form, right? Uh, and in a parallel account in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, when after Jesus healed um, Peter's mother-in-law and preached in synagogues, we see that the crowds were pressing in on him, that he, 
like pushing me into the water, that he had to go onto a boat and preach, right? The second thing was that Jesus gave orders to go, orders to his disciples to go. That this tells us that Jesus could no longer effectively minister in Capernaum, where he was, uh, that he has to go. And this is paid off in verse 23 later on when we see that uh, disciples follow Jesus in the boat. But for us, in our passage today, these two things set, up, set the stage for Matthew to highlight two particular people. Now, there were most likely more people, more than that, these two, right? But Matthew chose these two to highlight two lessons about following Jesus for us today, and that will be in our next two sections, respectively. So, in section two, following Jesus primarily in verses 19 to 20, we see a scribe come up to Jesus saying, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. Now, this is strange because this is a scribe. He's a teacher of the law of Moses. He's a religious elite. And from the Gospels, we know that Jesus often called the religious elite out on their hypocrisy, that they're being fake, right? And that he threatened their hold of leadership, spiritual leadership among the people. They didn't like him either. So here, it's very strange to see a scribe wanting to follow Jesus. You see, traditionally, scribes choose their rabbis, their teachers, their sifu, right? So in essence, this, this, this guy is coming to Jesus saying, Jesus I want to be your sifu, right? And, and, and all the commitments that follow, wherever you will go, I will go. And it sounds great, isn't it? Like in church when we sing, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, right? Wow, amazing, amazing commitment. If not for Jesus' response, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And in essence, Jesus was telling this scribe, you think, that by following me, you have security in your career. You have advancement. You have properties. But that following me is not about these things. Now, we do not know whether the scribe ends up following Jesus or not, all right? But that's not the point. The point here that Matthew wants us to know is to warn against anyone who would seek to follow Christ for his benefits and his perks. We follow Jesus primarily and as priority because he is both worthy and worth it. So the first principle here is that following Jesus primarily means that we follow Jesus not for his benefits, but for him alone. And this is a good opportunity for those of us who profess to follow Jesus to ask ourselves this question. Do we follow Jesus because we love him truly? Or because we love what we think we can get from him? Do we truly love Jesus with our heart, our soul, and live for him alone, truly? Now, I'll try the true method for us knowing for sure in the Bible is for God to test our faith. Like the example of Abraham. So Abraham was an old guy who was childless, who had to wait 20 years until he was 100 years old before God gave him a promised son, Isaac. And of course, Abraham loved Isaac completely. And God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice Isaac. Now, I will contend that God tested Abraham not because God didn't know what was going on in Abraham's heart, but that God tested Abraham for Abraham's sake. You see, when Abraham was confronted with a choice in his heart between his love for his son and his love for God, Scripture tells us that Abraham chose God. And we, we read that as a result of that, Abraham's faith was affirmed and his faith grew. And we Christians today are given a similar opportunity. Following Jesus primarily means we seek to know him through his words. Seek to know him by trusting Him and obeying Him. Jesus said, If you love me, you obey my commands. And elsewhere, He told His disciples, If you love me, you will love one another. By this shall all men know 
that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. So I will contend that each time that we seek to love Jesus by knowing him better through the word, by reading the Bible, each time we seek to love Jesus by loving those whom he loves most, the church, and each time we love Jesus to tell others who don't know him about him, that each time we do so, our faith and our love for Jesus is affirmed and will grow, just as Abraham's did. And we come to our next lesson about following Jesus as priority in verses 21 and 22. So here we read of another disciple, another of the disciples that said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this second person is already a disciple of Jesus. Now, for us 2,000 years removed from this passage, right, we may not be sure culturally what it means to bury the father, right? Um, and there are, there are a lot of guesses that scholars make. But for the for sake of time, the one common agreement we can all make is that the disciple is telling Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying not yet. Right? And it's a reasonable response, whatever it means, right? Culturally and uh, to honor one's parents, right? But Jesus' reply to this person, like he did for the scribe, reveals the heart of the person who's giving this response. So when, when he responds, I, let me go bury my father, Jesus' response to him is, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Basically, let other people do that. You follow me. It was a command. It was an imperative. So we follow Jesus primarily and as priority because he's both worthy and worth it. And the principle here is that we follow Jesus as first priority. All other concerns are secondary. All other concerns include everything. Parents, spouse, children, family, friends, everything, even our own selves. And it may seem extreme to hear me say that, but the truth of the matter is, drawing from my own example, I can only love my wife and my children rightly if I place Jesus as my first priority. Because to put my wife and my children as my first priority, to meet all my needs in them, is to place on them a burden that their human hearts cannot bear. The need of my sinful heart. They can't bear it. Only one person can, and that's Jesus, right? And that burden, that need, belongs to Jesus alone. So for us, following Jesus as first priority means we need to take a good, long look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, what choices can, that we can make today gives us more of Jesus, brings us closer to Jesus? And sometimes the obvious choices like being closer to Jesus by gathering here physically among his people or even online, spending the commitment to go online and, and, and spend time under God's word. Um, sometimes those are out of our control. I'm not talking about those things. If it's within your ability to come, we definitely want you back. Because there's something about the physical gathering that uh, the online just can't substitute, right? Another, but another way of giving to Jesus the priority that he deserves is by denying ourselves the things in our life that draw us away from Christ. And here's a simple test, if you would like. If you find yourself throughout this week, finding yourself in a moment, in a lull, where you don't feel like praying, where you don't feel like reading the Word, when you don't feel like doing anything, uh, listening to worship, or uh, listening to, to praise songs, or doing anything that would draw you closer to Christ, right? If you find yourself in those moments, pause for, for a bit, and look back at what you just did leading up to that, all right? Uh, perhaps there was an activity or a behavior that you had, that you did, right, that led you to feel that way. And I will lovingly contend to you, look at it, and if that behavior or that activity is the culprit, 
please remove it from your life because Jesus should have first priority. And last but not least, we come to our last segment, which is following Jesus because he is worthy and worth it. Verse 23, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Right? So this verse ends this passage by stating that they were those who truly followed Christ uh, primarily and as priority and they followed him in the boat. And we will see what happens there next week. But for us in today's passage, if I had just ended it there in the previous two segments, uh, it's very easy to conclude, follow Jesus lah. Duh, no need thing, right? Follow Jesus primarily, give him a priority, and end it there. But if I had ended it there, um, I can't get over my own conscience because that would not be helpful. It won't be helpful for the Christians who know they ought to be following Jesus, but they know that they're not doing so the way they should. That they know that everyone's, why, why, why am I struggling with following Christ? And they're wracked with guilt and the burden of failure. And they feel that they're not good enough. It won't be helpful for them if I ended it there. It also won't be helpful to the non-Christians out there who are listening to me and rightly perceive that to follow Christ will cost us a lot. And if we don't give them a why, following Christ is not appealing. Why should I give up my life without Christ if it's going to cost so much, right? So in this last section, I attempt to outline why, both, why Jesus is worth following and why following him is worth it. Firstly, Jesus is worth following. Because he is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, fully God in himself, but together with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're one God who created everything, all of the universe and all of us, all of humanity, that they made man in, in, in his own image so that man will live with God in harmony, honouring God rightly and ruling on his behalf. But we read in the pages of the scripture, right, that our first parents decided, no, they, didn't, they wanted more than that. They didn't want God to rule of them, so they turned away from God. And ever since then, all of us, all their descendants, all of us here, live in that state of rebellion that they found themselves in because we were born into their family. That all of humanity found that state of rebellion and rejected God. So on one sense, you can say that rejecting God, the creator, the sustainer and the giver of life, is like sitting on a tree branch and sawing it off. Because cutting yourself off from the source of life inevitably, naturally, leads to death. Right? But another way of looking at it is that by rejecting God, by rejecting His majesty and His, to, to dishonor Him, it's way more grievous than if we were to, in today's example, spit in the face of a sitting monarch. It's unimaginable, such dishonor, but that is what we do when we dishonor God. We are, that's, that's all of us, describes all of us. We're sitting on a precarious branch over a canyon of damnation at any one moment. Even us Christians, not for one minute, honour and obey God the way that He should be. We are all rightly condemned, isn't it? So Jesus is worthy because not just being God in the fullness, He came into our world, into time and space as one of us, fully human, except that He was without sin. And He showed that by His life of full obedience, obedience that none of us could achieve, and He bore Himself the consequences of our disobedience to God. He bore our death on the cross. And we read this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that He made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that Jesus is worth following because when He died for our sins on the cross, He took on our curse and not, he, did, he did not only stay dead, but He rose again in resurrection power. And for all who would follow Him, 
That is the resurrection power that he gives. He gives his life. We receive his obedience. We receive all the honor that he was worthy to receive. And this is not something that we deserve, my friends. It's not something that we deserve. But the fact of the matter remains, if we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we receive a reconciliation with God instead of being a wrathful judge, He's a loving Father, and we are adopted as sons in Christ. That Christ is our Lord, that we will rule and reign with Him forever in an age that there will be no death, no suffering, and no disease. In light of all that we will receive in the eternal age after death, may I lovingly suggest that there is no amount in the bank that could ever be worth trading that for. That there's no amount of success in, the, in your careers that would ever be worth trading for a life of ruling and reigning with Christ forever. And last but not least, there is no amount of relationship, any friend or family, that will be worth giving up that relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. Again, we follow Christ primarily and as priority because He's both worthy and worth it. Grace just means... Uh, and we, we, the last principle here is that we follow Jesus motivated by grace. And grace just means a favor that we don't deserve. That none of us deserve to have Christ die for us, and none of us deserve to receive all that He has. All His honor, righteousness, and His um, blessing. But such a wonderful grace, it's a, such a, like a precious gift it is, deserves a response, has an appropriate response. And that is in recognition of all His love for us, we respond in kind to love Him in return and give Him our all. So coming back to that decision that my wife and I made to go Mantaka. So here's why we made the choice. So we made the choice to burn a perfectly good opportunity in Singapore, not because there was anything wrong with Singapore. Please don't hear me say that, right? Um, but because, on the other hand, when we were praying about it and we realized it, our hearts and our intentions for Singapore were mainly financial, for um, political safety, for career advancements, and who knows, after that, we may go to Australia or where else, right? But all those things are good things. Uh, and we might have very well taken that path, if not for what lay on the other option, which was to stay in Malaysia and go to Pahang in obedience, where we felt, and we, even though we did not know what was happening going to happen in Pahang, we know for sure that there were greater ministry opportunities for us in Pahang. And eight years on, it's been a long trip, right? but I can honestly say that we have no regrets. Sure, we have friends who went on and did that uh, choice to go to Singapore and we look at their social media, but even then, looking at what they have and looking at what we went through, there's no regrets saying that Jesus is worth it. In part because it's direct, it directly led to me standing in front of y'all here, right? And that's been great. Uh, but also because that journey of, in the, even in our, this, this past eight years, uh, we, have, we were put in situations where we were actively, um, intentionally had to trust God rely on God when we didn't know what was there the next day, when we didn't know what was going to happen, that even in our failures, in our struggles, right, we were, we, were, we were put in a place where we experienced that God is good, that He is faithful even when we are not faithful. That Jesus is worthy of anything that it may cost you. And that I personally know that choosing Jesus is always, always worth it. It is always worth it. That it's not just some distant thing after death, even though that is true. But that today, if you choose Jesus today, He will prove worthy and He will prove worth it for you. It's true in our lives right now. And the question now remains, 
would you follow Jesus as he deserves? We follow Jesus primarily and as priority because he's worthy and worthy. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in showing us love that we don't deserve through your Son. Help us, O oh Lord, to be living for you and growing in our faith and dependence on you that we may testify all the more that you are worthy and that you are worth it. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.